Well, good evening. My name is Kevin Barra. I'm a youth pastor here at uh, Grace Bible Church. Worked with Jacob for a number of years. Uh, in fact, he was a senior in high school when I, when I started here. Shows you how, long, how old I am or how long he's been around. But uh, he, uh, actually his grandfather passed away uh, this past week. And so he asked me to jump in. I said, hey, I'm more than willing uh, to jump in, um, especially if it's facing such a tragedy. So if, if you're Think about Jacob. Please pray for him as he, uh, he walks through this tough time um, with his family. So we're going to be taking a break uh, from the David series, uh, but fear not, we'll jump in again, or he'll jump in again next week. But we're going to be in the Gospel of John this evening. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 15. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 25. Uh, I'll be praying for us one more time, and then we will launch in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 25. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a man, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the father also. And if they have done among If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written and their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you so much for um, the power of your word and the the way that it can penetrate our hearts and minds and really the way that you call us to live for something bigger and better and more amazing than whatever it is we've been living for. And Lord, I pray that as we look at your words from your gospel, the the story of your life, that we would be convicted and challenged and inspired to live lives that are radically obedient to you and we would treasure you above all else and more than anything else, Lord, that we would, be, we would aspire to be called your friend. And so, Father, I lift up this time for us. I pray that you meet us in this place as we sang earlier. You are welcome here. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite movies is The Lord of the Rings. Um, fans? Yeah, Okay. And the reason I love that movie is because you see what happens when a community becomes united for a great cause, right? And so the story opens up uh, after kind of like those intro craziness. It opens up uh, in the Shire at a party, right? And so you meet the hero and the villain right there at the beginning. You meet Frodo Baggins, right? 
And the, the, the greatest thing Frodo aspires to is to hang out with his buddies partying through the night away, right? That's all he really aspires to. He's not looking to be part of anything significant. He's just a dude hanging in the, in the shire with the other hobbitses. It's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to just chill and be with your friends. But soon the story takes a turn as we, we meet the ring and the villain that it represents, an evil wizard that had uh, from long ago started a war against the, the, the nation, really the, the world of Middle Earth, and he had been stopped for a while, but he was still present, still active, and he was seen in, in the reality of this ring. And so these guys don't know what to do, and so these hobbits go on a journey, and they take it to the elves. And if you're not familiar with you know, the Middle Earth little world, elves were the wisest people uh, or creatures, I don't know, things in that world, that environment, right? And so they knew that they would probably have the best answers. They were the oldest, the wisest, they have dealt with this before. And so they go to this place and what they find quickly is that no one can agree on what to do. And suddenly Frodo steps up and says, I will take the ring to Mordor and I will destroy it. And then everyone else around him rallies behind him. There's a dwarf in there, there's another elf, there's a man, there's Aragorn, there's all these people that rally together and the other hobbits are like, hey, we want to be on board with this too. If there's a great cause, we want to unite ourselves with that great cause. If we've got a few days to spend our life chasing something, we want to spend our lives freeing the world from this terror. And I love that. I love the unity and I love the moment when Frodo's walking along. I mean, you see what happens. These friendships, these bonds get strengthened in a way that has never been strengthened before. In fact, bigger than these people could ever aspire to for themselves. And there's this moment when Frodo and Sam, you remember Frodo and Sam? Frodo, Sam, Frodo, Sam. You know, like those guys are walking through the woods and, and Sam asks Frodo, hey, do you think they'll sing songs about us? Do you think they'll write stories about us? Do you think when we live our lives this way that anyone will ever notice? And Frodo says, I, I think they will. I think when you get a community of people united together for a great cause, it, do, it can't help but have people look and say, that is an amazing peace to be a part of. And the reason I start there is because that's where we are in the Gospel of John. The story opens up in this moment, and, and really it's, it's, one of, it's the last night that Jesus is alive. Chapters 13, 15, 16, and 17 are all the last moment of Jesus' life. It's the last moment before he's going to head to the cross, and it's his last words to his disciples before he will die. And in this moment, Jesus is like a good coach to these guys. He gathers them together and he says, look, here is what you have. And here are the challenges that are ahead. If you've ever been on a sports team, that is exactly what a good coach does. He'll say, I'm, there's a great cause that we're chasing and you've got to realize what we have as a community and you've got to be ready for the challenges that are ahead. And that is exactly true in our Christian life. If you want to be people that call themselves Christians, that engage on a great journey. You've got to know what you have and you've got to be ready for the challenges that are coming ahead of you. And the greatest starting point of this is that it's not about obligation and it's not about um, a guilt trip as to 
why you should be a good person or why you should live for Jesus, he doesn't start there. He starts with friendship. Because the root of the Christian faith isn't about rules and regulations, it's about a relationship, it's about a friendship. And Jesus says in verse 12, he says, this is the commandment that I, that I give to you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And he says, you are my friends, verse 14, if you do what I command you. And that word friend may not mean that much to you at this point. But that is one of the most significant statements in scripture. In fact, there are huge benefits to being a friend. The idea of friend was actually only used two other times in, in the Bible. There's only two other men that are called the friends of God in the entire Bible. The first one's Moses. It said in Moses in Exodus 33:11. 11. Thus the Lord used to speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. If you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, what would happen is Moses would go to the tent of meeting and a pillar of cloud would literally descend on the tent and Moses would talk to God face to face like a buddy. And then he would walk out of the tent glowing and all the people would go, that's freaky, put a veil on. So he'd put a veil on his face, but literally he would speak to God face to face like a man speaks to a friend. He walked closely with God. The only other character of the Old Testament or in the Bible that's called a friend is Abraham. And in James 2 verse 23, it says that the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Only two people were ever called friends of God. And Jesus opens the door to his disciples. and says, you want to be a friend of God? Here's what you do. You believe, you obey. So how do you begin a friendship with Jesus? How do you become a friend of God? It's so simple. You believe and you receive. You believe that Jesus is going to pay. It says, no, no one has any greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. He is about to pay his life. And if you believe that he paid his life for your sins, you're in. And you receive that as a gift. But the great part is it doesn't stop there. I mean, that's where it begins, but the benefits are so much bigger. It goes beyond just a simple receiving. He, there, there is a great purpose, a great plan that's ahead. In fact, when you get to be a friend of Jesus, you get to be part of the plans that he's working in the world. One of the greatest benefits you get for being a friend of Jesus is this. You get to be one that has the inside information. So, how do you know who's dating who? Who broke up with who? Who's interested in who? Who's now broke up, now interested, now broke up, now interested, now all back together? How do you know that? You're a friend, right? And so you know those relational craziness as soon as you are a friend with someone. How do you know where someone's hanging out or where different friend groups are, are kind of chilling together? How do you know that? A friend. I heard it described this way and I feel like it just captures it. A friend is someone that you don't plan to hang out with you just hang out with, right? Because if you've got to plan that, like if you're in Starbucks, you're sitting there and you'd be like, hey, we should totally get together. Oh yeah, I'll totally call you. And if you kind of do that whole thing, you'll never call them, right? But a friend who's someone is just there. 
If they're always at your house, if they're always at the party you're at, if they're always hanging with the crew that you're hanging with, that is a friend. It's someone with the inside information. And Jesus says, I, don't, I no longer at this moment will call you slaves, but I call you a friend. Why? Because everything I heard from the Father, I'm making known to you. I'm giving you the inside information. I'm telling you what's happening. I'm telling you the plans of the Father, and you get to be a part. If you are a friend of Jesus, you get to be a part of the, knowing the inside information of what God is doing. And I'll tell you what, being a friend of this king is better than any date party you can go to. Being a friend of this king is better than any plans you can make because his plans are bigger than, the, than any plan you have. In fact, his plans are the biggest plans of the world. I mean, he plans on saving people. He plans on planting churches. He plans on sending some of you overseas to share the gospel. He has plans of changing lives for eternity. And he says, I want you to know my plans and be a part of my plans. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 says it this way. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in heavens and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything, he may have first place. He is the ruler of all things and he's got plans and he wants you to be in on them. He wants you to know what he's doing. But even better than just knowing the plans, you get to know that you're picked. He says in verse 16, I chose you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And for some of you, that can be a terrifying idea. As soon as you hear the idea of God choosing someone, for some of you, you go like, that's freaky, right? See, the NFL has a draft every year. Pro baseball has a draft every year. Pro football, that's NFL. Pro uh, basketball has a draft every year. And all of these coaches, all of these organizations, they pick the best players to make the best team, right? And it's all based on performance, right? And so if your name is uh, Johnny Manziel, you're going to the NFL Combine, right? And you're stretching as tall as you can get, 5'11 and three quarters, you know, and you are running as fast as you can. You're making the best passes. You're doing everything you can to get on the team because that choice is purely based on performance. And some of you are terrified by that idea because you've got nightmares from elementary school and it was dodgeball, right? And you were watched as the teams were divided, right? Like the parting of the Red Sea and you're left there in the middle. Right? And they're like, they picked them, they picked them, and I'm standing here in the middle. You know, and you, it's just not a good spot for you, right? Or some of you, it actually has hit a little bit deeper because you've gone out for that organization this year or last year, and, and they didn't pick you. You weren't a part of that team. And some of you, the, when you hear the idea that Jesus chooses folks, that can be a terrifying prospect. Well, let me just comfort you. He doesn't pick based on performance. No one is left waiting on the sidelines to get on the field when Jesus is doing the picking. How do you know you're picked? You receive the son. And you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to fret over it. Am I in? Am I out? If you receive the son, you know that you're picked. And beyond being picked, it goes even further. You're picked for a purpose. It says in verse 16, let me read it to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you 
that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give to you. He says, you, have, you know the plans, you are picked to be on the team, and you have a purpose. One of the most terrifying things you did in applying to get into Texas A&M University was this. You answered several essay questions. And the questions kind of went something like this. Why should we let you in the university? And what do you plan on doing with your life to give reason why we should let you into the university, right? And so that moment you had to say, answer the questions, what am I going to do, you know? And so you're writing there on, the corner, on that scratch piece of paper, I'm going to be an engineer and change the world for the betterment of society. And all, you, know, you just kind of give off this thing of like, and then you get here. And you started in engineering. And it didn't go too well. You know, like I thought I was good at, at math in Snook High School, and then I got here, and it was a lot tougher than I thought, right? You're like, maybe I'll be a psychology major. You know, like, so you start and these grand plans all of a sudden get shattered as you start going through this process. You're like, what is my purpose in life? Why am I at Texas A&M University? What am I here to do? I don't even understand. And we can freak out about losing our purpose. And guess what? Some of you are going to be freaking out on a new level because you've been here for two, three, four, eight years um, working on your undergrad. And as you're kind of going through that time, you arrive at this moment and they're asking you, junior, senior, so what's next? What are you going to do? Hey, so what's next? And you're peeing your pants. You're, like, you're freaking out. Like, I don't know what's next. I don't know what my purpose is in the world. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And Jesus says, look, if you're my friend, you don't need to freak out because I've got purposes for you. I've got a purpose for you that is better than any purpose you could be chasing. I appointed you to bear fruit and that your fruit would abide. If you're with me, you get to be a part of an am- the amazing things that I'm doing. And I've got a purpose for you. I love Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. It says God has prepared works for you. It says you are God's workmanship. Literally, the Greek word is poema. You are God's poem. The girls are going, yay. Guys are going, what? You, God is working on you and crafting you to be something amazing for his sake. Not for your sake, for his sake. I love the illustration of, of Michelangelo in the Statue of David. There was a large piece of discarded marble that other artisans, other workers of, um, of stone and, and craftsmen just rejected and neglected. Because they never thought it could be part of anything beautiful. Never thought it would be part of something spectacular. And a stone can't talk. But if it could, it might say, I'm a discarded stone. I have no purpose. I'm going to lay on my side and have no future. But when it got into the hands of the master... He chipped on it and smoothed it and carved it so that you will spend a lot of money to go see it in Rome. You got to get a plane ticket. You got to get in the waiting line and see the beautiful statue of David because it would get, when it got in the hands of the master and it got aligned with his purposes, it became something remarkable. And you may not know what tomorrow holds. When you have to answer that question on that 
resume or that interview? What is your purpose in life? You may say, I may not know what the next five years hold, but I know that the hand of the master holds me. And if I'm his, then I'm okay. If I'm aligned with his purposes, I'll be all right. And the last piece that he gives us as being part of the friend of Jesus is he gives you a people. Verse 17, it says this, these things I command you so that you will love one another. He says, I command you these things to receive these things, to hear these things so that you will love one another. He promises to give you a people. And in fact, he says this line that you would love one another over three times in, the next, in these three chapters because he wants to emphasize to these guys, I want you to love one another. And here's why. Because we do some of the most stupid things we ever do based on the acceptance or love of one another. So I had some buddies in college. They got naked and jumped over fires. Why? The acceptance and love of one another. I've got friends, uh, this was me, um, I jumped off a cliff, went cliff diving into water that we were unsure if it was safe in Colorado. Why? Love and acceptance of one another, right? Some of you girls, you've made some of the worst decisions you'll ever make based on the love and acceptance of another. Some of you guys, some of your biggest regrets you've made because you wanted the love and acceptance of another, And Jesus is about to call these guys to go do something crazy. And what he's asking them to do is to realize they may all reject you, but you have a people with us here. If you're a friend of Jesus, you're never alone. You are never worthless. You always have a purpose. You always have a place and you always have an us that we are inviting you into. For some of you, this will change your life. Because college has been a very lonely place for you. It has been a place where you have not felt embraced and connected. You have felt abandoned and misplaced. But Jesus says, if you're my friend, you get to be a part of these friends. And let me encourage you. If you don't feel like you have a place, even in this place, I strongly encourage you to get connected. Because we will be your friend. And it's beautiful. Jesus says, if you get to be, if you are one of my friends, if you believe and receive me, you get all of these benefits. But even though you get a ton of benefits, there are challenges along the way. Even though there are perks, there are pains. And it's true. Every time you join a new organization, there will be enemies that align against you. So you made the decision to go to A&M, right? You chose to get that maroon and white on, and you were excited. And there were some communities that completely embraced you. In fact, you may have gone to fish camp or impact camp, and they they taught you the cheers, they taught you the chants, they taught you the yells, and suddenly there's this huge community of people that love you. But some of you had friends, and they went to a different school down the road, right? And you wore your maroon and hat and stuff like that, and you walked in there, and all of a sudden you walk into that moment with all those other folks, with those other gear, and they're like, oh my gosh, you went there? And suddenly, without any decision or any impetus on you, though you just put on that gear, you just created enemies. So you played sports in high school, right? I went to Taylor High School and uh, in Katy, and then we played Katy High School. Wow, oh, oh, awesome. And as soon as we put on the Mustang Blue, right, immediately there was a Katy Tiger trying to kill us, right? 
If you went to school here, uh, Consol High School and Bryan Vikings, as soon as you put on that Consol maroon and white, there's a Viking trying to kill you, right? As soon as you become part of one team, you create enemies with the other team. And Jesus says, look, your alignment with me will bring enemies. And in fact, the same reasons you can be excited to be a friend of Jesus, those exact same reasons cause enemies to be against you. It says this in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, his choice of you changes relationships. I don't know if you've experienced this in college. I, I, well, I was not a Christian coming into college. In my sophomore year of college, I went uh, to spend some time with my charismatic cousins from Colorado. That's what I call them, right? And in that time in Colorado, it was amazing. I got to see God in a very real way. It became legitimate what the things that God was doing, that Jesus was actually real and working. And it was in between my sophomore and junior year of college. And I'm like, man, this is amazing. And so I come back, and I was running track in college. And my buddies on the track team were completely not interested. And as I would not engage in some of the things that they were engaging in, I wasn't even calling them out. I just wasn't going anymore. They're like, oh, that's Kevin. He's, he's into his Christian thing. And suddenly I was on the outside by nothing that I had done, just choosing to, to not engage in some of those activities. And some of you have experienced that. See, his choice changes your relationships, but also his purpose puts us at odds with people. In verse 20, it says this, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But if they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. His purpose is put you at odds. If you bring Jesus' word, people will hate you just for bringing the word. And it will be nothing that you say. It's everything that you're just bringing and living a Christian life. In Corinthians, Paul says it this way, For some were the aroma of life, and for others were the stench of death. And lastly, the reason it's a, it's a burden to be a friend of the king is that Jesus' plan carries a cross. In verses 22 through 24, it says this, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. In Luke, Jesus says it this way. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He says, this is a great plan. This is a great journey. This is a great destiny. This is all great. But I'll tell you what, there are burdens along the way and the plan carries a cross and you carry it too. If you call yourself his, you will experience opposition, rejection, persecution. If you call yourself his, You'll have enemies. It'll change your relationships. It'll put you at odds. And you'll carry your cross. And the only response that I would give to this, I would ask is, how how do we respond to this reality? If that's true, if that's ahead, then how do I respond to these realities? I would ask you three questions. 
First question is this. Is there a better friend that you can receive? In the military, we give the highest honor we can give is called the Medal of Honor. And who do we give the Medal of Honor to? The soldiers that lay down their lives for the sake of their country and their fellow soldiers. We don't have a higher honor than a man that would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his life for you. When you could not save yourself, Jesus readily stepped in the way, took the punishment you deserve for your sins to purchase for you freedom. You don't, you don't have a better friend. Secondly, I'd ask you, is there a better plan for the world? My wife uh, hates watching a TV show in the middle. I don't care, right? Because I can just keep watching it whenever. But she absolutely hates it. So if we to, or to flip to it and we're midway through the show at any point in time, she says, nope, I'm not watching it. Go back to the beginning. But I'll watch the end of a movie and then catch the other part of it later on. Like I'll catch it on Netflix or whatever. Like I don't really care what point. And some of us treat our Bible the same way, right? Like I don't want to read the end of the story because I haven't read the whole thing yet. And I'm like, no, no, cheat. Go to the end, right? Because the end will give you encouragement. If you haven't read the end of your Bible, then you don't know where it's headed. Yes, there are benefits of being in. Yes, there are burdens in the, in the midst. But there's a blessing that's promised at the end. And Revelation 21, it describes it, and I absolutely love it. And so I'm going to spoil the end of it if you haven't gotten there by reading it. Here we go. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the, the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That means beautiful. Ladies, that's when you look your best. Guys, well, we're going to be a bride. Uh, and it'll be awesome. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The end of the story is the best story and there's no better plan working in the world than when every tear is wiped away. And Jesus conquers death, disease, destruction, demonic Everything is defeated at the feet of the one true king. There is no better plan in history. And lastly, I would ask you, is there a better purpose you can live for? Is there any greater point to chase on the horizon than the purposes of God and the future that this plan is painting? I love David Livingston. He was a missionary to Africa And in 1857, he spoke these words. People talk of the sacrifices I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is it a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthy activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and the bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice, say rather a privilege, Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of common convenience and charities of this life may cause us pause and our spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All of these are nothing when compared with the glory that will be revealed 
I've never made a sacrifice. As I look at those questions and I think about what we have, the burdens, but the blessings that are coming, I say, man, it's worth the sacrifice. Growing up, last story, I, I loved the movie Robin Hood. Disney version was awesome. But in the 90s, there came out a version with Kevin Costner and where Kevin Costner didn't even fake the British accent. Like it, he started at the beginning and then like, uh, I can't do it. And he failed and just kind of went on with the movie. And I love the premise of the story because you, what you have is an is a evil ruler. And he's the sheriff of Nottingham. And he is oppressing people. He is stealing from people. He is, he is being a terrible ruler. Until Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman come back from the Crusades, right? And what do they do? They band together this group of merry men and they start waging war against the enemy covertly. They're stealing from the rich, giving to the poor. There's some political issues there, but I'm not dealing with that. But, but I love the fact that they engage on this mission of sabotaging the enemy for the sake of bringing good. And finally, when the end of the movie, when it comes that the true king enters, Sean Connery, right? He's riding on his horse and he looks at Robin of Loxley and he oversees the wedding between him and his niece or something like that. And he thanks him for preserving his kingdom in his absence and he rewards him for being on his mission in the world. And that's what I want for you. You've got a few short days when you can chase a great cause and you've got a great and loving king that walks beside you, that is with you and is ready to reward you if you are faithful to the end. And I pray that you embrace the benefits and embrace the burdens of being one who's called a friend of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for, for your word. And Lord, I pray that we would be ones that you would call friend. That we would engage engage in the challenges. That we would receive the blessings. And God, that we would run the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. And I pray for a day when we are joined there with you, singing praises to the Father and thanking you that we get to be a part of bringing the gospel in the midst of opposition because you are the great king who's worth our lives. We love you. Should we pray? Amen.